our living hope. Wow. Wow. Praise the Lord. And there was, a, there was a moment in that song where it said, my chains have been broken and I've been set free. And I got to tell you, there are some people in here who need to hear that this morning. Here's why. Many of us in our lives, if, if we were to play back the movie of our lives, the points in that movie, in our mind, the points in that movie that are most vivid are those times where we regret something, right? If you were to go through the story of your life in your mind, those, th when you get to, you know, those moments in your life where you can really see the detail, it's those moments where you feel like you've done something, done something unforgivable. Done something that you just can't leave in the past. It's just clinging to you. It's just this, this guilt, this shame. And it clings to us and we wish we could get rid of it. We wish we could ease the guilt that came with whatever that was. But we can't. And the question is whether or not we have those moments. Each of us do. The question is, given, given that I have this shame attached to me, what do I do now? How do I ease my guilty conscience of this shame? There's a few ways you might go about it. One of the ways is, well, you might just embrace it. I guess that's who I am. That worst part of me, that's just me. That's just who I am, and that's, I'm just going to continue in that life. That's just, I can't do anything about it. Or there's another way. You might go the religious route. Do all the good things that you can do in order to make up for your past mistakes and try and ease your guilt that way. I'm here to tell you this morning that there's a third way. There's a better way. And it's the way that Christ is going to show us this morning. We're going to continue our series called Encounter Christ. And in this series, we've seen that Jesus has encountered people in the New Testament, challenges them, and then life change happens. But Jesus isn't done doing that. Jesus is continuing to encounter people through his word, through his spirit, and through his church even today. So this entire series has been an invitation for each of us to encounter Christ. Maybe for the first time. Maybe for the hundredth time. And today, we are going to see what hope we have in our unforgivable self. The title of this sermon is called The Third Way. We've got two obvious options for how to deal with our guilt and shame. But Christ is going to show us the third way. And in fact, this third way is really the only way. Let's open up our Bibles. We're going to Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. You're going to see uh, in the bulletin that uh, where you can look that up in the Pew Bibles. It's also going to be up on the screen. I hope you follow along with me because if it isn't in the Bible, you don't need to listen to me because I don't come here on, based on my authority. I'm not here on, based on Tyler Scarborough's authority. You don't need to listen to Tyler Scarborough at all. But insofar as what I'm teaching comes from God's word, I don't appeal to my authority. I appeal to God's. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. And in this passage, Jesus is going to call out those who believe themselves to be unforgivable and unredeemable. You 
you might feel like you're that way. Let me read the first bit of this passage. It goes like this in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now you're reading that, and you're thinking, well, there doesn't seem to be anything spectacular about that moment in Jesus' ministry. He, so he, he went and talked to some guy named Levi. He was a tax collector. But the original audience who would be in Jesus' time and Jesus' day and age would know what's going on here. Jesus is talking to a tax collector. And this person, this Levi, would have been considered in his culture the lowest of the low. Here's why. This guy would be considered guilty of treason against his own people. See, at this time in, in Jesus' life, Israel, the nation of God, Israel is underneath the boot of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire and their military might has swept across the world and they now control the Jewish land, Jerusalem and surrounding area. They control them. They occupy them. And the Jews, they don't like that. They're getting exploited and they feel like they're under oppression day by day. Now, the Roman Empire wants to collect taxes from the Jewish people, but they don't want to do their own dirty work. They'd rather do something else. They came up with a clever plan. Why don't we employ some of the Jews themselves to collect taxes from the Jews? This is what we'll do. We'll ask the Jews to take the taxes, and what they will do is add a percentage even on top of those egregious taxes so that they could pay themselves. So anyone who would sign up for that bit clearly did not have the Jewish people's interest in mind. They had their own interest in mind. And now Jesus is coming to say hi to this tax collector, this lowest of the low, this person who, who's been ex expelled from the community of faith and looked down on as they walk by, they spit in his direction. And you might be thinking, you know, that's something that maybe, maybe they did in the ancient Near East 2,000 years ago. That's something they did. They cast people out like that. They're judgmental like that. We don't do that today. Come on. You know that's not true. And I, and I, and I don't want to make light of it either. There, there are people who do certain things in our society where everyone in society casts them out. And I, I'm not condoning it. I'm not condoning these things. But it's true. Here, let me just give you a few examples. A man who beats his wife. Huh? You find out about that? What do you feel about that person? Unforgivable, unredeemable. How about the spouse who cheats on his spouse? You find out about that. Get away from me. I'm, again, I'm not condoning this. It's just true. We cast them out. How about someone who, in their past, committed some sexual sin, sexual abuse of some kind? They're done. Right? They're done in society. Again, not condoning it, but it's true. Our society casts people out. We consider and label people unforgivable, unredeemable. That's it for them. They did that thing. It's over, just like Levi. And many of us are one slip up away from that being our own reality, right? Because you know you. 
Can you imagine, like, if your entire life was put on display for everyone around you right now? That's Levi, by the way. His mistake, his, the thing that has cast him out from society, it's on display. Everyone sees it. The only difference between him and us is we've been better at covering it up. that thing where we know ourselves we even know ourselves to be unforgivable and unredeemable how could i have done that how could i still be doing that unredeemable unforgivable but here's the over the top incredible remarkable thing that jesus does when he walks next to this person in the tax collector booth because you'd expect and everyone else expected that when Jesus passes by this tax collector, he says, hey, everyone pay attention to Levi over here. Don't be like him. Don't, stay away from him. Stay away from him and his kind. Stay away from those people. But look at what happens instead. It says in verse 14, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said. Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Follow me. There's power in those words. Jesus looks at Levi and says, hey, the world may have casted you out. The world may have said that you're unredeemable, unforgivable, worthless. The world may say that you cannot be part of a community of faith. The world may have shoved you out of their lives, but I want you. I love you. And I want you to follow me. You are not unworthy of love. And there are people going through, going through life right now. People who we've cast out. Or people in here who've got that, you know, thing in their past that they're dealing with. And they think, no one's on my side. No one's got my back. I'm, I'm worthless in the eyes of everyone around me. And Jesus cuts right through that. And Jesus says... Follow me. I see your value. I love you. I want you. Follow me. Now for each of us, that call is still there. Jesus asks each of us to follow me. But the question is, now what do we do with this call? What do we do? Because we've got a few options on the table for dealing with our guilty conscience, don't we? First, there is the irreligious option, the non-religious option. You can imagine Levi, you know, he's doing his tax collector thing and he's got his tax collector friends and he's got the people who represent the Roman Empire and all of them are telling them the same thing. Just look out for number one. This is just you. You're a tax collector. This is what you're about. This is who you are. Just come to grips with it. Continue doing the thing that you're doing. It's working well for you. Just be that person. That's it. Embrace who you are. An outcast. Continue your life of sin. There's one option, and that option stands for each of us. We can just embrace, embrace that. There's another option, and it's on the table for Levi, and it's on the table for each one of us as well. The religious option. We can start feeling really bad about the things that we've done in our past, and we can start to try and make up for it by doing a bunch of works, by trying to be as good a person as we can be. By going to church and doing all the things that the church tells me to do and, and kind of making a case that we're really good people. We're really good people. Right? Levi could have done that. I'm sure people around Levi, maybe his, uh, maybe his family, maybe some, uh, some of the 
the religious leaders would have gone to Levi and said, look, you got it. You got to come back to the faith, but we're not going to bring you right back in. You need to work your way up. We need to be able to trust you. Come on. Do all these things. Do all these things, and then maybe we'll forgive you. There's the religious option. Now, which one of those options seems better to you? Some of you might say the non-religious option, and you have your reasons for that. But I would imagine most of you think, okay, the better option there is the religious option. Because at least then, I won't be a slave to sin. At least then, I won't be going back to that old trough of sin again and again. And I won't be wronging people. But you know what? That religious option makes you just as much a slave to sin as the first option. Because you'll never appease your former self. You'll never appease your guilt. You have no idea what level of damage you've done. You have no idea. How many good things do you have to do? How, how much of a good life do you have to live? And how are you going to avoid the sin that's going to come in the future? You're still a slave to sin, trying to work back forgiveness, trying to do all of the things possible to work it back. You're following all the rules, but you still can't outrun your sin. There's a third option. There's the third way. And that's... That's the way of Christ. That's the way of Christ. See, religion says, if you do enough works, you can be forgiven. But Jesus says, I've done the work, and you already are forgiven. This is how much God loves you. This is how much Jesus loves you. Let me paint a picture for you, okay? Each one of our sins deserves God's just wrath. He's just. He's holy. Each one of those sins, whether great or small, deserves God's just wrath. And we can't do anything about that. We're sinners. And that wrath would be coming for us, except for one thing. God loves us. And he gave us a way that we could be forgiven of that sin. He loved us so much he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live a perfect life. To go to that cross and die with all of our sins pinned to him. Now, I want to paint you another picture. When Jesus goes to that cross, each one of my sins, past, present, and future, is put on him. With all of the wrath of God that I deserve put on him for each one of those sins. But not just mine. Yours too. Past, present, and future. Each one deserving of God's wrath pouring down. And each one of those sins on top of Christ, on his shoulders. Every single one deserving of all of that wrath. And Jesus takes it all. What must have been the most agonizing thing in the cosmos. But he did it for our sake. Because when Jesus died, our sin died with him and when he rose again he proved that he has conquered sin and the grave there's the third way it's in fact the only way to overcome our unforgivable unredeemable self you could take take the non-religious option but you're just going to rack up more guilt you could take the religious option but you're just going to rack up more guilt or you can live knowing that Christ has dealt away with your sin, dealt with your guilt. 
and your sin in the mind of God is as far away from him as the east is from the west. That's true freedom, true freedom. And this forgiveness does not persuade us to go back to the trough of sin, right? If it was cheap forgiveness, hey, I got my forgiveness, I'm going to go back to sin. I'm just going to go back to doing what I'm doing. But this forgiveness from this Savior who's done so much for us on that cross persuades us not to go back to sin, but persuades us to follow this Christ, this Jesus, without barriers and without boundaries. Because he has shown his love for us. And now we know that we are his completely. Do we have any Levites in here? I'd imagine we have one or two, probably all of us. Take the third way. Take Christ. The only way to deal with our sin and our guilt. And the only way to truly be reconciled, truly be brought back together with God, with our Heavenly Father. That's Jesus' call to the outcast. And I hope you hear that. I hope you hear that. But Jesus isn't done talking. He's about to call not the outcast, but the insider, the self-righteous person, the teacher of the religious law, this person who took the second option, the religious option. Take a look at what happens next. Verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, excuse me, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now we're going to need some background here. Who are these Pharisees? Well, these Pharisees were the religious elite. They were in charge of all of the religious doings of uh, the, the Jewish people. They were in charge. They were kind of the moral authority, and they liked to show it off. They would wear their robes. They would make sure that they looked very holy in the eyes of other people. And if you messed up, if you weren't on board, if you weren't doing all of the things that they were doing, they'd call you out, just like they're doing here. They were... They were people who thought that the only people who should be involved in the community of faith are people who look like us. Very righteous, very stately, very holy. And you know what? The church, people who come to church for a long time, we, we probably don't intend to do this. But we, we sometimes give off this vibe that we've got it all together. That sin was kind of a problem of the past, and now I'm pretty well together. Things don't really bother me. I'm kind of just good. I'm kind of just holy. And it's, it's damaging because people look at you and say, well, if, if, if you're like that, I, I can't be involved in that community. I'm, I'm nowhere close to that. And it's damaging also because it's just not biblical. The Bible shows us that if we're followers of Christ, if we're following after him, we are a construction zone. We're a work in progress. God's helping us, but we still have struggles and we still need to grow. We're not all put together. But that's okay. Because take a look at what Jesus said. I love this. It says this on, in verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners. Here's, here's the incredible irony of Jesus' life that we miss because we're kind of used to Jesus, right? But this is the incredible thing about Jesus. He came to save the people who everyone thought he would be least likely to save. People thought that Jesus was coming and he was going to collect the righteous. He was going to find all the righteous people. Yep, you guys passed the bar. Yep, you guys look righteous. I'm going to come to save you. But that's not what Jesus says at all. He says, I've come for the sick. I've come for the sinners. You think you're fully righteous? I haven't come for you. Uh -uh. That's the opposite of what you'd expect. But here's the double irony. The double irony is this. Even the people who think that they've earned salvation based on their righteousness, like these Pharisees, even those people who think they've got it all together, even they are the spiritually sick. Here's why. They think they've done God a great favor by following after him. They think that their works really amount to their salvation. They have earned their place before God. They probably think, God, hey, I'm doing you a big favor up there. I've been doing some pretty good things. I'm, a pretty, put together, I'm, I'm pretty well put together here. And these people, and often ourselves, we think that we're the ones who are righteous. And we don't really need God for righteousness. He kind of owes us. He owes us for the things that we've done for his kingdom. And you know what? The truth is that behind each of our religious exteriors, whether you've been to church for a year or 20 years or 50 years or however long, beneath each of, the, each of our religious exteriors, we all know there's sin, there's struggle, there's a real need for God's grace underneath that religious exterior. And by the way, God sees right through it, right through it. He knows us completely and utterly. He sees, he sees us. And that's a great comfort, right? He knows us. He knows us. That's an amazing comfort for those who rest in his grace. But it's an incredible threat for those who resist his grace. Because he knows us. He knows our sin. He knows the depths of our heart. But here's the remarkable thing. And it's, it's just so good. It's just so good. Even if you are that self-righteous person. Even if you are that person who's put up a religious exterior. Even if you are that people who has, uh, who has over, the, over time thought that they have earned their salvation through works. If you come to realize that that's the case for you, guess what? Now you know you are one of the spiritually sick. And praise be to God, Jesus has come for you. Whether you are the self-righteous person, this, this hypocrite, or whether you are someone who knows that they're unforgivable and unredeemable, Jesus has come for you, for each of us. We simply need to recognize our intense, our desperate need for Christ. Whether we've been part of the church for a day or our whole lives, again and again, we need to recognize our intense, our incredible need for Jesus Christ, for his forgiveness. See, we often get it all wrong. We in the church, we look out to some of the people who are outside the church and we think we got to make them look a lot like us. I think what we need to start doing is recognizing that we on the inside look a lot like them. 
And if it weren't for God, we wouldn't be any closer. That, that truth, that truth persuades us to invite people to know Christ. I'm, I'm the same as you. The church is the same as everyone else. The only difference is we have recognized that Christ has done the work for our sakes. And we've placed our faith in him. But for the grace of God, go I. And that persuades us to share this great faith. And in fact, there's a third way to read this text. We've looked at it once through the lens of someone who's uh, unredeemable. We've looked at it again through the lens of someone who's self-righteous. But there is a third way to read the text. And to do that, we need to go back to the beginning of this text in verse 13. It says this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, and then the events that happened after that happened. So we didn't see this the first time we read it through because we went too quickly. But this time we recognize that Jesus had a large following coming after him when he talked to Levi, when he talked to this person at the tax collector's booth. He was teaching them. So what we're seeing here isn't a radical, strange thing that Jesus was doing that can't be replicated today. No, Jesus, Jesus was teaching us a normal part of the Christian walk, the normal part of discipleship, which is to reach out to those who are outcasts, reach out to those who feel like they don't fit in, reach out to those who have, yes, they've made their mistakes, but they need Christ. See, Jesus, look at what happens in verse 15. It says, he was having dinner with the tax collectors and sinners. He was enjoying time with them. He was having fellowship with them. And in the ancient Near East, if you were having dinner with someone, it was, it was intimate. It was, you wanted to get to know them. You were sharing love with them. And you know what? That, that might even be just as true today. Because we live very isolated lives. If someone invites you to your house, it's a, you know, it can actually be a little scary. But what they want is to have a relationship with you, a real relationship with you. Jesus didn't consider them a burden. He loved them. He spent time with them. Now often, you know, we think that the church needs to be this cleaned up, nice and tidy place, right? And the building should be nice and neat and clean, clean and tidy, but I'm talking about the people. You know, we think that we need to be all put together and all upright. We all need to fit in this certain box. And you know what that does? That alienates people. It, takes, it makes people think, I can't be involved in that church. They're doing that thing, and I, I just do not look like that. And it, it keeps them at arm's length. We need to allow people to come as they are, not judge them, but be excited that they're here because, hey, you're just as much an outcast as them. But you have found the grace of Jesus Christ. You haven't signed up to a nice, neat, and tidy church. We need a little bit of mess. Not chaos, but a little bit of mess. We do. Because you know what mess means? Mess means that people are deciding that they want to go to their next step. Mess means that new people are coming and they're trying to figure out what this whole Christianity thing is. Mess means that people have decided that, you know what, I've been living life this way for too long and I know Christ has something better for me. That's what mess is. And mess means we each recognize in ourselves that there's another step to go to follow after Christ. 
We don't invite you to a nice, clean, put-together church. We invite you to a little bit of a, a little bit of a mess. But that's okay. And the question is for each of us, you know, do we only talk to and associate with, with people who are in our own circles? Look like us, act like us, believe the same things that we believe. Is that kind of our, are we kind of in a bubble? Or has God placed opportunities in our lives for us to reach out like Christ did? Because we need to model what Christ does here. Reaches out to people different from the faith community, but so desperately in need of Christ. At the end of the sermon, actually at the end of the entire service, there's going to be a few questions that are put up on the screen. These same questions are in your bulletin, in fact. And I just invite you, as you have your reflection time at the end of the service, to read those questions and, and just reflect. And ask God what you can do about these things. But before I close, I just have one last thing to say. And this, I'm going to address those of us in here who consider themselves outcasts. Consider themselves like they, you know, they don't fit in. And every time I come to church, I feel like I'm getting judged. And, you know, it just doesn't, you know, I try to come, but like, I just don't feel invited. I don't feel welcomed. I just feel so different. I want to talk to you for a second. I want to say, we're sorry. We're sorry, okay? Like, sometimes we don't even know how we're coming off. We, you know, we try. But we're sorry. And you know what? We want you to come back. It might be uncomfortable. It is. I'm, I'm sure it is. But we want you to come back. Not because we think we're the perfect church. Far from it. But because we follow a perfect Savior. Don't come because we're the good ones. No. Come because Jesus Christ is good. And he loves us. Loves us so much he went to that cross for our sakes. So that we could have a relationship with God. So that we could have eternal life. And so that we could live life to the full. Today and forever. You feel like you're an outcast? Come join this band of outcasts. Worship team, would you come up? And I'm going to close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you have reached into our lives, pursued us with your unrelenting love, and gave us the grace to see that we need you. Lord, I pray that Richview would be a place that people of all tribes, tongues, and nations can come, and all walks of life can come. Hear about your word, hear about your grace, hear about your love, and follow you. That's what I hope, Lord. So I pray, Lord, for everyone who is here who considers themselves unforgivable, like an outcast. Lord, I pray that you give them a sense of your presence and a desire to know and follow you. I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.